Tonight we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics. We're going to talk about dinosaurs. And believe me, when I travel, I get lots of questions about dinosaurs. You know who asked me those questions? The kids. The kids are fascinated. They're captivated by dinosaurs. You should have been here this morning. My favorite session of every conference is the K through six session with about dinosaurs. The session with the smaller kids. When I stand up here and say dinosaurs, I'm their guy. For an hour, for five hours, for a week, they're fascinated. They were hanging on every word. Not because I'm such a great speaker, because I was talking about their favorite topic, dinosaurs. You know the types of questions most parents tell me they can't answer? About dinosaurs. You see, we've got a disconnect. We've got a problem. We're going to deal with some of those questions during this session. And I think if we're going to talk about dinosaurs, the first thing we need to do is kind of... Um, Kind of all be in a dinosaur mood. I mean, you understand? We, we all kind of need to be focused on dinosaurs. We need to all have our minds concentrating on dinosaurs. In order to do that, I'm going to introduce you to an old friend. being right all the time. Which dinosaur was that, by the way? T-Rex. Now, when I ask that question, who answers it? The kids. The adults don't have a clue. Big ugly lizard. What do I know about dinosaurs, right? How many people saw the movie Jurassic Park? Put them back up. What a nest of sinners I fought. Put them back up. I'll tell you when to put them down. Those hands are going to be up for a while. You saw that horrible evolutionary. Put them down. You saw that awful. What kind of Christians are you watching a movie like that? Where's the pastor? I am absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm amazed. I saw it 15 times. <laughs> but I did it for educational purposes only. I did it for you. You're welcome. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. Jurassic Park is one of the coolest movies ever. When the, no, no, when the T-Rex eats the lawyer in the outhouse, that's entertainment. Where's Mike? <clears throat> Yeah, he said something about paybacks, brother. That's what I'm talking about. My favorite scene in movie history. And I know why it ain't the lawyer. Nonetheless, <laughs> hey, I'm leaving tomorrow morning. What, you know? But the thing is, as entertaining as that was, there are some things in that movie that aren't so good. And see, those are the sources our young people tend to go to to find out about dinosaurs. You know why we're not equipping them. Because most people in the church don't feel like they have answers about dinosaurs. Answers in Genesis deals with dinosaurs a lot. We have answers. You know where our answers start? Right here. The Bible is the foundation of our thinking in every area. About theology? Sure. About morality? Sure. About relationships? Sure. About dinosaurs? You bet. 
It's the foundation of our thinking in every area. Because what we see in God's world really does agree with what we read in God's word. But you know what the world says? The world says your Bible is a book of myths, fables, fairy tales. The world says we know better. This is what the world says, says that we know. This is how dinosaurs came to be. This is the dinosaur family tree. And I've seen charts and diagrams and illustrations like this since I was like in the third grade. And we know this is a very scientific chart, right? You know why? It's got scientific words on it. Triassic, Jurassic, Cretaceous. And if you got really good eyes on the far left, it's got the millions of years. So if it's got the millions of years in scientific words, it must be a scientific chart. So what this chart's trying to tell us it's like 280 million years ago, some ancestral sort of pre-dinosaur was merely existing along. And all of a sudden, poof, it had a mutated offspring. So another kind of creature pops off. Then another kind of creature pops off. And about the time it gets to that first line, it must have had like a really bad day. Because poof, it just mutated into everything. Then that branch goes off to the right. So you start off with one creature, then you end up with the ornithischian dinosaurs, the cerisian dinosaurs, the birds, the crocodilians. You start off with one kind of creature, you end up with all these different varieties of creatures. Now, if you're paying attention to this chart here, what you'll see is the lines come in two different colors. You've got the yellow, the highlighted portion of the chart, and you've got the grayed out portion of the chart, the grayed out lines. Can anybody tell me what the yellow lines, what the highlighted portion of this chart, what does it represent? Yeah, th- things we know, things we have fossils of. That's exactly right. We got fossils of that creature and that creature and that creature. We got fossils of all those creatures. Now, can anybody tell me what the grayed outline, the grayed out portion of this chart, what does that represent? It is not a guess. It's an educated guess. I have six letters after my name. I do not make guesses. I make educated guesses. You know what an educated guess is? It's a guess. But see, those of us in the academic intellectual community don't want you to think that we make guesses. So you know we've developed code words for things like this. The extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade secret of paleontology. The evolutionary trees that adorn our textbooks have data only at the tips and nodes of their branches. The rest is inference. However reasonable, it is not the evidence of fossils. Anybody know what inference means? It means guess, but it sounds really scientific. So let's go back and look at our chart and see what we can actually conclude from this chart. Let's start with the creature on the far right. When that creature reproduced, were its offspring the same kind of creature or different kind of creature? Same, okay. What about the one fifth on the right? When it reproduced, were its offspring the same kind of creature or different kind of creature? Same. Hmm. What about the one third from the left? When it reproduced, were its offspring the same kind of creature or different kind of creature? Same. Hmm. So what we have underlying or is the basis of this chart here is fossil evidence of fully formed creatures reproducing after his or after their kind. I know I read that somewhere. Where did I read that? How about in the Bible? When creatures reproduce, they reproduce how? After his or after their kind. So incredibly, when dinosaurs reproduce, they have what? Dinosaurs. On the first day, God created earth, space, time, and light. On the second day, the atmosphere, the firmament, the expanse. On the third day, the dry land and plants. 
On the fourth day, sun, moon, and stars. On the fifth day, the flying and sea creatures. On the sixth day, land animals and man. Dinosaurs are air-breathing land animals. They were created on day six, the same day as man. Did dinosaurs and man walk the earth together? Absolutely. God's word is clear. Six ordinary 24-hour days. Yeah, Tommy, I know, and I know you want to give biblical answers. You said the Bible has the answer to all this stuff. We can have at least biblical answers. You know, you say that, but why don't we find the word dinosaur in the Bible? How are you going to talk about the Bible and dinosaurs? The word's not even in the Bible. Should that really surprise you? Actually, it shouldn't. The word dinosaur didn't exist until 1841. It was coined or invented, if you will, by Sir Richard Owen, one of the most prominent scientists of his day in England. He was one of the first people to systematically study the fossils of dinosaurs. As the great ships of England would bring these specimens back from all over the world, he was one of the first people to kind of, you know, categorize and study and analyze. And he was totally amazed at what he was seeing, as any of us would have been. He's the person who invented the word dinosaur. It means terrible lizard. The word did not exist before 1841. It's a new word. So the question I have for you is, can you really turn to the Bible? Are there dinosaurs in the Bible? Job 40, 15. Behold now behemoth which I made with thee. He hath grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loins. His force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces or bass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is chief of the ways of God. Now that's obviously a hamster, right? <laughs> Guinea pig? I mean, is that a big creature or a little creature? That's a big creature. You got a tail like a cedar. You're chief of the ways of God. That must be some impressive creature. That must be some incredible creature. That's, he's got to be the man. He's got to have it going on. But, you know, I really and truly wonder sometimes when people read through God's word, if they're actually paying attention. Because the people that wrote the study notes for the NIV study Bible said the creature we just read about was possibly the hippopotamus or the elephant. Anybody here been to the zoo lately? Ever seen the backside of elephant? That looked like a cedar to you. I mean, that's just, that's a right sorry cedar, okay? Does a hippopotamus have a tail like a cedar? That ain't no cedar, no way, no how, right? See, this doesn't fit. Or maybe they just got their ends mixed up. I don't know. What about something like, oh, that? Or that. Now, can I make the following statement? Behemoth was a dinosaur. Can I make that direct statement? Behemoth was a dinosaur. Nope, I can't. What I can say is this. There is no creature in our present understanding that fits that description better than a sauropod dinosaur.
So what are they doing? It's a dig site. They're digging up dinosaur fossils. And I'm going to tell you something that's happened to me not infrequently. And it really kind of freaks me out when I hear this. I've traveled to a lot of conferences and I've had lots of parents come up to me and say, well, you know, Tommy, I'm just really kind of confused about this whole thing about dinosaurs. And I'm, don't, I'm not really a, a scientific person. I don't really know how to deal with this. So I've just told my kids dinosaurs weren't real. I've just told my kids dinosaurs were made up. And I've heard that quite a bit, and I still have trouble wrapping my mind around that. Why would you tell your kids that dinosaurs weren't real? Now, if any of you have told your children that dinosaurs weren't real, I've got a piece of advice for you. Never, ever, under any circumstances, bring them to the Creation Museum. Because you're going to have some explaining to do. You know why? We've got dinosaurs everywhere. We love dinosaurs. They're amazing creatures. But again, if you've told your kids dinosaurs aren't real, which a lot more people than you think have done, you got lots of huge problems. One of your biggest problems is called what? Fossils. We got fossils of lots of kinds of dinosaurs. And I hope we find fossils of lots more. But at the same time, when we talk about fossils and say we've got fossils, we need to be able to step back and try and understand what we can learn from fossils. You know, what do fossils tell us in effect? And we talked about this last night. How'd that fish become a fossil? It got buried very rapidly, right? Save from all the sediment at the time of the flood. And remember, the time of the flood, lots of things would have got buried rapidly. What do fossils tell us? Now, when you dig up a fossil, have you dug up the past or the present? Sometimes at this point, somebody says yes. All right, we'll do it this way. How many people say you've dug up the present? Okay, hands down. How many people say you've dug up the past? Hands down. How many people didn't vote? Hands down. How many people in this room exist in the present? Hey, that's about a third. For, mo- for a Monday night, that's not too bad. Okay? You, it's higher towards the weekend and lower during the week. I was in California about six months ago. It was 5%. Those people didn't know if they were there or not. It was kind of frightening. But... Nonetheless, when you dig up a fossil, you dug up the present. You cannot dig up the past. The past is what? It's past. It's gone. You can only examine things in the present. You only have fossils in the present. You cannot directly scientifically test the past. We're talking about the here and now. I've got the fossil now. I'm looking at the fossil now. You have to make assumptions about the past. So having said that, we're going to have a little discussion here. We're going to just say you're digging a barbecue pit in the backyard or whatever, and you hit some rock, and you look in that rock, and you find this. We are going to say you just dug this up. Now, what I want you to tell me is what you know about this. Not what you think, not what you wish, not what you hope, not what your neighbor said, not what you saw on the Discovery Channel, not what might be, not what could be. I want you to tell me what you know about that. It's dead. Or very, very still. I'll accept either answer. It's dead. And what? It's a fish. It's a dead fish. Do you really know anything else about that fossil? Do do you really know anything else about that? It's a dead fish. I'm sorry? It wasn't in water. I'm sorry. You... 
You're wrong about that because you don't know what the situation would have been like 4,300 years ago. It would have been in the sediment. So, I mean, there had to have been some water there and it got trapped because it's a fish, so it would have lived in water. Then it got trapped in the sediment. So what you really know is that's a dead fish. What color was it before it got dead? You don't know. What did it eat? And fish food's not an acceptable answer, by the way. You don't know, do you? Now, to be fair, we do have some specimens in the fossil record of creatures that have parts of other creatures like in their tummy. So in certain cases, we know at least part of the diet would have been. In this case, you don't know. Was this a smart fish or a dumb fish? Some people say it's a dumb fish or it wouldn't be a fossil. Well, I understand that. But at the same time, there was so much sediment, even the smart creatures would have got buried in that amount of sediment. Where'd that fish die? Nope. You know where it ended up. You don't know where it died, do you? There are places around the world we call them fossil graveyards. And it's just acres and acres and acres and acres. And there's like billions and billions and billions of fossils. I mean, they all get together and commit suicide? How'd that work? No, they got trapped in a sediment flow and they were deposited at a certain area. You only know where it ended up. You don't know where it died. You just know when it got through traveling in the sediment, that's where it was. Do fossils come with labels? Hi, I'm 65 million years old. No, they don't. We have to separate what we know from what we assume. We know the things we can observe and test in the present. It's a dead fish. Everything else we're assuming, which is why it really surprises people when they come to the Creation Museum. When you go, we've got lots of exhibits and displays and theaters, but when you start the actual walk through the museum tour, you don't find yourself in the Garden of Eden. You don't find yourself in Genesis 1. You know where you find yourself? The dig site. This is one of my favorite exhibits in the, in the whole museum. Here we've got a recreation of a dig site. I mean, they're, they're excavating uh, a fossil, and you've got the two uh, scientists there. One's a creationist, one's an evolutionist. And on the screens behind this display, they are going to interpret their fossil find for you. Fascinated by dinosaurs, watching movies, collecting models, reading all about them. Dinosaurs were big. They were magnificent. They were awesome. I was taught that dinosaurs once ruled the world, but that millions of years ago, they disappeared from the earth. Everything I believed about the age of the earth, the cycles of life and death, the evolution of humankind began dinosaurs. And then... I learned that the Bible presented a very different history. Kim here is my colleague, fellow paleontologist. We've been friends since college. Today we study the same fossils, we use the same techniques, but that doesn't mean we agree on what happened here. We do interpret our findings differently. You see, fossils don't come with tags on them telling us how old they are, where they lived, what they ate, or even how they died. We have to figure that out from the clues that we find. We never have enough clues. 
So, our starting points usually lead us to different conclusions. Well, here's how I see it. I think this dinosaur died over 100 million years ago. It dried out in the sun for a long time. Um, and later, I think this specimen was uh, covered by river sediment, uh, which was caused by a local flood. She's been lying here all this time till we dug her up. Where Kim sees millions of years, I see evidence of a different history. I believe this animal died in a flood, but it wasn't a local flood. It was a massive flood that covered the earth, Noah's flood, when God judged the world. The carcass was buried suddenly, before it could be eaten or decomposed, buried in a layer of sediment that stretches across the entire continent. Since the flood, according to the Bible, was about 4,300 years ago, that's how old I believe this fossil to be. We come to different conclusions because of our different starting points. I start with the Bible, my colleague does not. We all have the same facts. We merely interpret the facts differently because of our different starting points. And to me, that's one of the most vital displays or exhibits we have at the museum because when you come, you need to understand one key thing. There's one key element to understanding this whole discussion, and it's, it's this. This is not a battle of evidence. This is not about finches and fossils and rock layers. It's about how you interpret the finches, the fossils, and the rock layers. You just had two scientists interpreting the same fossil. They came to totally different conclusions because it's not about the evidence. It's about how you interpret the evidence. Your, interpret your, your conclusion, if you will, is based on what? Not the evidence. It's based on your starting point. Very important to understand that. What is a dinosaur? We use the word dinosaur a lot. Well, such and such was a dinosaur, T-Rex, the dinosaur, Triceratops, you know, uh, uh, Tyrannosaurus, whatever. We talk, we, we talk, you know, sort of generally about the, you know, about dinosaurs and we use the word a lot. But what exactly is a dinosaur? Well, see, there's a very specific scientific definition of dinosaur. What they are, they're land reptiles. The key issue is this. They have their legs under the body. They're not, you know, belly draggers like alligators and crocodiles that have the, have the legs out to the side. They have their legs under the body. They're up off the ground. Now, when I was little, when I was in school, when we used the word dinosaur, we also included the flying reptiles and the seagoing reptiles. We just used dinosaur as a more general type term. But the flying reptiles and the seagoing reptiles rightly have their own specific classification because they have a distinctly different body structure. But as I told the kids this morning, you got to understand, when I was little, Pluto was still a planet. You know, they, they had a vote and Pluto is no longer a planet. How many people think Pluto should still be a planet? I mean, I th you know, I've talked to three astronomers in the last couple of years and said, you really shouldn't have voted for Pluto not to be a planet because that's not fair. Because if, if you start off to be a planet, you should always get to be staying a planet. But I just think that's fair. And that's free, so you can do with that what you will. But anyway, dinosaurs are strictly land reptiles, legs under the body. And we've got an incredible, an amazing variety of dinosaur fossils. This is the Stegosaurus. Now that's a pretty fearsome beast. Look at the plates on the back, but look particularly at the spikes on the tail. You know, I don't want to find one of those in my backyard. Well, 
Not really. I mean, I take the picture and I'm going out the front door. That's just, that's just not good. These things are the sauropods. They can be up to 135 to 138 feet long. This is the Diplodocus. Huge dinosaur. The little line at the top is about the width of my computer. I had the privilege a couple of years ago of visiting the Natural History Museum in London. And when you go into the big entry hallway there, they've got a full-size Diplodocus. They call it Dippy, which I think is really incredible. But you stand there and look up at this thing and you go, that's an awfully big creature. I mean, that is, that's just, it's like overwhelming to see the size of it. But then you got other really interesting creatures like the Pachycephalosaurus. What's the Pachycephalosaurus doing? It's fighting. Now, how do we know the Pachycephalosaurus existed? We got fossils of them, right? Do we know they fought like that? There's no way we could know. Why do some scientists think they behaved in that fashion? The skulls are thicker. I mean, if you look at the skull, the skull cap of the Pachycephalosaurus is relatively thicker than other skulls you know, by, by size, by proportion. Just because it has thick skulls doesn't mean it butts heads. I know a lot of people with thick skulls and they don't butt heads. So that's a whole different issue. But why would a creature behave in that fashion? What would be the benefit of butting heads or fighting with another dinosaur? I'm sorry? Mating. I mean, in our world today, we have creatures that fight other creatures. Like, you know, lions will protect their territory or protect their pride. Uh, you know, it could be to fight for a mate, to protect the offspring, to, pr to protect territory, to perfect or to protect or secure food sources. We have animals in our world today that behave in that fashion. The thing is, we can see those creatures today behave in that fashion. There's no way we can know that about the uh, Pachycephalosaurus because all we have are the fossils. I mean, do fossils fight? No, fossils do what? They lay there. They don't really do much of anything. Fossils are kind of boring if you just sit there and watch them. This is an ankylosaur. I mean, again, do we know they behaved in that fashion? I mean, that's kind of entertaining if you draw the, the, the picture that way. But how do you know the creature behaved in that fashion? These are the duckbill dinosaurs, the hadrosaurs. These are incredible creatures. Look how large these creatures are. You've got the little girl on the bicycle there in the, in the illustration. Those are big dinosaurs. They are not, however, the coolest dinosaur. I mean, I have made quite a study of dinosaurs, and I have determined and now will, will tell you and reveal to you which dinosaur is the coolest. I did this for the kids this morning, and I think they were suitably amazed, as I'm sure you will be or at least need to be. I am now going to show you the coolest dinosaur ever. This happens to be my favorite dinosaur. This is the Frank Sinatra of dinosaurs. That's how cool this dinosaur is. This is the cool, this is, this is the coolest dinosaur ever. And I'm sure you're going to agree. This is my favorite dinosaur. This is the Parasaurolophus. You don't seem to be impressed. I'm sorry. That's just too cool for school. The reason that dinosaur is so cool, it has the coolest nose Ever. It has the best nose in all the dinosaur land. It probably has the best nose in all history of creation. This is the best nose ever. Now, how does the Parasaurolophus breathe? Do not overthink this question. Through its nose. Okay. Now, the question, where's its nose? The answer, everywhere. 
Air goes in, the air comes back down. I don't care what anybody says, that's the coolest nose ever. Now, why does the Parasaurolophus breathe that way? That's the way God made it. That's the answer. I had a young man a couple of months ago say, I think it breathes that way so that creature could breathe underwater. Can the Parasaurolophus breathe underwater? No. Can the Parasaurolophus drown? Yes. It just takes about five seconds longer than other dinosaurs because it takes the water that long to kill it. That is the coolest nose ever. But there may, in fact, be a utility for a nose like that. I know some of you here know who Buddy Davis is. He's the dinosaur sculptor for our, for our museum, and he's also a very gifted musician. Well, a couple of years ago, he was actually doing some studies on the Parasaurolophus. As he was doing some measurements and things, he uh, thought, well, I just wonder if I could build something like this. I wonder what this thing sounded like. So he took his measurements and his calculations. He went down to Home Depot and got some PVC pipe and made this sort of model of the nasal chamber, and he put a horn on one end and a, and a mouthpiece on the other. So sometimes Sometimes his concerts, he'll be playing his banjo or his guitar or something. And right in the middle of it, he'll stop and go, hey, does anybody want to hear what the Parasaurolophus sounds like? And I mean, who passes up a chance like that, right? So he goes back to his guitar case, opens it, and pulls out this contraption. And he stands up from the microphone, and he blows into it. Anybody know what the Parasaurolophus sounded like? It sounds like a duck with laryngitis. It is the most awful sound you have ever thought about. Frankly, I think God designed that creature to sound that way so it would sound so horrible that no other creature would even want to eat it. I mean, I don't want to eat anything that sounds like that. Now, if you go to the Natural History Museum in London, they have a display about the Parasaurolophus. And you know what that sign says? It says this, it may have honked. It may have sounded like a goose. It is the strangest sound probably in all history of dinosaurdom. But I don't care what anybody says. You won't find a cooler dinosaur than the Parasaurolophus. Now, I did this this morning. I think everybody knows the answer. If you were to take a, a dinosaur vote, if there were to be a dinosaur popularity contest, which dinosaur do you think would win? T-Rex. I mean, T-Rex wins every time. And T-Rex is really cool. The thing is, we need to step back and try to understand what we know about T-Rex versus what we assume. Here's a question that comes up a lot. Were there dinosaurs on the ark? We've talked about this before. Were land animals made on day six of creation week? Are dinosaurs land animals? Did Noah take two of every kind of land animal, seven of some, on board the ark? Were there dinosaurs on the ark? That's not hard. Like I said, you got to really wonder how he got them through the door, though. But, you know, and again, once he got them through the door, he's got to get them off. We talked about this before. How did dinosaurs reproduce? They laid eggs. And we've got nests and we found lots of examples, you know, fossilized dinosaur eggs. This is really amazing. So, again, before you have a big stegosaurus, you have a what? Have a little stegosaurus. So again, if God's going to lead all these animals to Noah, I submit he's going to lead younger animals that have many, many years left to reproduce so they have many, many more reproductive cycles so they can make more dinosaurs after the floodwaters recede. This is just, it's really simple. 
Now, the one thing that, that the scientists really get puzzled about, they talk about, well, you creationists believe that dinosaurs lived with man up until at least the last few hundred years. You know, the scientists say, well, it's obvious dinosaurs died out millions of years ago. I don't know how you can believe in this whole young earth thing. That it's obvious that dinosaurs died out millions of years ago. And, and this whole thing that dinosaurs walk with man is just, it's just sort of silly. I don't even know how you can stand up in public and say that. Well, there's lots of reasons. But I know what that is. It's called a pictograph. There are places around the world where you find cave drawings or cave paintings or carvings. They're, on, they're in caves. They're on cliff. You know, they're on the sides of cliffs. And you find them in Europe, places in uh, uh, southwest United States, or a few places in uh, Southeast Asia. You find, and there are actually some websites that are dedicated just to showing you images from the pictographs and petroglyphs. It's really kind of fascinating. If you got some time, you ought to go look at some of those. And in some of these areas, you see some really amazing images, things like that. Or you can see things like that. Now, this is easier to say here. It's sort of an enhanced. Um, Or you can see things like that. What does that look like? Like a dinosaur, right? I can think of one creature alive today that sort of kind of looks like that. Kangaroo. Kangaroo is as close as I can get. But honestly, when you look at that, you don't think kangaroo, do you? What do you think? Think dinosaur. The thing is, when you see things like that, you have to go, wait a minute. This is kind of interesting because the secular scientists say that dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago. But we have these images all over the world of things that look like dinosaurs. And the question I have for you is, how did those images get there? Either people had to draw or carve those things, or it's the most amazing example of erosion ever, right? Either this is like a really weird accident, or somebody put those things there. I'm going to submit to you that people were drawing or carving images of things that were actually in their personal experience, things they were actually seeing. But you know what the scientists say? These things that look like dinosaurs, they're not dinosaurs. And at the same time, they'll say other things on these walls or in these caves are real, but the things that look like dinosaurs, they're not dinosaurs. Their imagination, their artwork, their, uh, I saw one report that said one of them was a mythical creature of worship. But see, the things that look like dinosaurs can't be dinosaurs. Why? Because they know dinosaurs died out millions of years ago. So are they saying that because of the evidence or in spite of it? See, here's some more. I mean, what does that look like? That looks like a dinosaur. What does that look like? You see, the scientists should be looking at these things going, wait a minute, we got evidence that people and dinosaurs walk the earth together, but instead they say, no, 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 these things that look like dinosaurs can't be dinosaurs. So again, are they saying that because of the evidence or in spite of it? I'll let you decide. Well, there's the big question about dinosaurs, and I'm going to get to this before people get nervous, I'm not going to answer it. What happened to the dinosaurs? And people are amazed that I have an answer to this. I I know exactly what happened to the dinosaurs. You know what happened to them? They died. What happened to the dodo bird? It died. What What almost happened to the American bald eagle? It almost died. It was on the endangered species list. I understand now it's, you know... It's off, and I'm and I'm off. I'm happy for endangered species. Is but the problem we have is we all live in a fallen, cursed world. Sometimes creatures lose the ability to continue to survive. In our own lifetime, any number of creatures have gone extinct. 
You can go to the internet and just you know type in it, Google animal extinction or something. You're going to get these lists of creatures that have gone extinct in the last 10 or 20 or 25 years. And you see these big lists of creatures that as far as we know no longer exist. But it's very rare that there's only one specific reason. Usually it's multiple reasons. You know, why certain creatures would go extinct. Again, if you go to the Natural History Museum in London, they have the big display about the dodo bird. There are multiple signs there, but these are all the factors that went into these creatures going extinct. But see, there's a particular fascination about the question of dinosaur extinction because the world says, hey, you Bible believers, if you believe the dinosaurs walked with man, if you believe dinosaurs didn't die 65 million years ago, if you're so smart, what happened to the dinosaurs? Well, they died. But the world says, no, no, we're going to let you get away with that. I want you to tell us specifically. Well, that's not really fair because it's really not a position. You're not in a position to say there's always just one factor. It's multiple factors. So I got to thinking about this not too long ago as I was, you know, reworking some of my talks. I thought, well, wait a minute. If the secular scientists are going to put that kind of demand on us, I thought, wait a minute. I want to find out what the secular scientists would say. If I went up to a secular paleontologist and said, what happened to the dinosaurs? What would they say? What would they have said over the last few decades? So I went to some of the colleges and universities in the Cincinnati area and went to some of the libraries and, you know, looked up some books and journals. And what I did, I accumulated a list of secular answers to the question, what happened to the dinosaurs? And I'm going to go through this list fairly rapidly. Now, understand that a lot of these answers are no longer felt to be in favor or in vogue, if you will. But the things I'm going to go through these, because if you'd ask a secular scientist over the last 15, 20 years, what happened to the dinosaurs? You could have gotten any number of these answers. So secular answers to the question, what happened to the dinosaurs? They died out because their brains were too small. The picture's pretty bleak, gentlemen. The world's climates are changing. The mammals are taking over. And we all have a brain about the size of a walnut. They went extinct because they were stupid. Some say they were outcompeted by mammals. You know, the dinosaurs roamed the earth for millions of years, and during that millions of years, that's when the mammals evolved, and the mammals were smarter and faster and quicker, could forage for resources better, so they outcompeted the dinosaurs. Some suggest they went extinct because other animals ate their eggs. So the other animals got together and said, well, they're a problem if they grow up, let's eat them while they're young. They died out because of cosmic rays from a supernova. Star explodes. Radiation comes to Earth, kills the dinosaurs. Of course, why it didn't kill everything else? Well, don't let that get in the way of a perfectly good idea. Here's one of my favorites. A change in the Earth's magnetic field. And this makes actually a lot of sense to me because dinosaurs are obviously magnetic. They died because of indigestion. And constipation. <laughs> 65 million years before Rolades, the dinosaurs are killed off by a massive plague of indigestion. Simply put, they had gas. Now, the way this works, there was a climate change. When the climate changed, the dinosaurs' preferred food sources were no longer available. So they had to eat things they weren't used to eating, and they died because of gas. Everybody laughs, right? You want to see the proof? Here's the report. Dinosaurs gassed themselves to extinction. Welcome to my world. They died of communicable disease. Now, there is evidence of, of infectious disease processes in the fossil record. You can get evidence of that. But there really is no evidence of a worldwide infectious disease process. So this really doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Here's one. They died because of hay fever. 
During the time the dinosaurs roamed the earth, certain types of flowering plants evolved, and they gave off pollen that was toxic to the dinosaurs, so the dinosaurs died out because of asthma and hay fever. Don't believe me? Here's a sign from the British Museum, uh, Natural History Museum. They died of hay fever and other allergies when flowering plants evolved. See, you can't make this stuff up. Now, this one's particularly frightening to me. Because as I shared with you last night, I have a wife and three daughters. Some suggested the dinosaurs died out because they were overrun by females. And this is really particularly frightening, and I can't even imagine what that world would have been like. But the thing is, we know in laboratory settings, when you're incubating reptile eggs, if you control the temperature just the right way, you can control the sex of the offspring. Now, don't hold me to this absolutely, because I really need to go back and pull this study. But the last time I was reading a study about this, as I recall, they were doing some experiments. They were incubating crocodile eggs. And the lower temperatures gave all males, and the higher temperatures gave all females. And I know there's a joke in there somewhere. i just got to find it. And in between those extremes, you would get a mixture. So the way this idea theory works is there was a climate change such that the temperature was just at the right level that all the creatures either came out male or female, and they couldn't continue to reproduce. Now, some people suggested they caused their own extinction. They went extinct because it got too big. They continued to evolve, and they got bigger and bigger and bigger. Finally, they got so big they couldn't compete for resources. They couldn't avoid predators. You know, they were basically targets in their own environment. And I guess at one level, you know, maybe for the sauropods, you know, a diplodocus, you know, the very biggest dinosaurs, maybe you could make some kind of case for this. But you got to understand, some dinosaurs fully grown are only the size of chickens. So this doesn't make a lot of sense. It is, however, on the sign at the British History Museum. They got too big to move around. Some suggested they went extinct because all the plant eaters got eaten. You see, the meat-eating dinosaurs started eating the plant-eating dinosaurs. And they ate them 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 and they ate them. So what happened to the plant eaters? They were gone. So what happened to the meat eaters? See, they ate themselves out of house and home. Some have even suggested they were abducted by aliens. And some say they're still alive. They died because of the environmental changes from a volcanic eruption. Catastrophes from the Earth's core caused their extinction. But here's the biggie. The meteor. The meteor that caused the extinction of the dinosaurs 65 million years ago. National Geographic talks about this like they got it on videotape. It is annoying. I mean, the way it's supposed to work, a meteor hits the earth, puts a lot of dust in the air, it's climate change, kills dinosaurs. Well, I'm not suggesting our earth hasn't been hit by meteors. We got the impact craters. I have no argument with that. But the reason this is popular in certain circles, it is by no means consensus, by the way, no matter what you hear on the National Geographic Channel or Animal Planet. I've talked to a number of secular paleontologists who say they don't buy this at all. But the reason this is popular in certain circles is in a lot of these areas where you find you know, the sediment, where you find the dinosaur fossils, you'll find a high concentration of a substance called iridium. Now, iridium is found in high concentration in meteors. So when it hits, you know, the iridium spreads around and it sells out where the dinosaurs died. And there are all sorts of problems with this idea. First and foremost, even if you've got iridium settling out where the dinosaurs died, where are you going to get all the sediment to bury the dinosaurs? You see, it accounts for the iridium. It does not really account for the other catastrophism that would bury these creatures. As it turns out, there is another source of iridium. You know what that source is? Volcanic activity. Can you think of an event in history associated with a significant degree of volcanic activity? 
How about the flood? The great fountains of the deep breaking open, the worst cataclysm the world's ever seen, sedimentation on a global cataclysmic catastrophic scale. I can account not only for the iridium, I can account for the, the massive amounts of sediment required to bury these creatures rapidly. I don't need to invoke a meteor. All I need to do is trust the history and the word of God. Some people suggest they went extinct because of the change in the climate of the earth. Now, again, can you think of an event in history associated with the changing climate of the earth? How about the flood? But you see, the flood would not have caused the extinction of the dinosaurs. Why? There are two of every kind of dinosaur on the ark. Now, did they get off the ark to the same world they left? No, the world had been completely remodeled. Different topography, different temperature, uh, different weather patterns, different food sources. It would have been hunting pressures, predator pressures. All, the, everything had completely changed. But the dinosaurs got off the earth. They started reproducing. And we have evidence that people and dinosaurs have walked the earth together up until at least the last couple of hundred years. As far as we know, the dinosaurs are now gone. What happened? They died. Can I give you one specific reason? No, I'll give you a number of reasons. Man encroaching on the ecosystem, predator pattern changes, uh, weather pattern changes, uh, hunting pressures, disease process. I mean, all sorts of the same things that would apply to any number of other creatures that have gone extinct in our lifetime. But the world says you have to have an answer. The answer is simply, they died. Oops, there we go. Hmm. There. The towering brachiosaur, the horned triceratops, the ferocious Tyrannosaurus rex. Everyone seems to be fascinated with dinosaurs. Some were big, many were scary. And all are gone. Since we haven't found any dinosaurs alive today, almost everything we know about them comes from the fossil record. The remains show that these amazing creatures were well-designed and complex. They came in many forms, plant eaters and meat eaters, small and large, slow and fast. Similar types of animals inhabited the air, the land and the sea, although only land animals are called dinosaurs. We know they were not just overgrown reptiles. Dinosaurs had unique body designs that set them apart from other animals, including their hips, lungs, and methods for controlling body heat. No known process of change could derive them from any other known organism. And no evidence of such a change is found in the fossil record. Dinosaurs just appear in the fossil record without connection and without explanation. Where did they come from? The Bible says God created every kind of land animal on day six of creation week. From the fossil record, it appears that dinosaurs were part of an intricate community of plants and animals unlike anything known in the present. The worldwide distribution of dinosaur bones indicates that the dinosaur ecosystem and, in fact, the entire world was destroyed. Billions of fossils, including all the dinosaur fossils, were formed in the process. This devastation fits the biblical description of a worldwide flood. Since their fossils indicate that dinosaurs were alive just before the flood, God's command to preserve animal life through the flood would have applied to dinosaurs as well. So dinosaurs must have been on the ark. Young representatives of each dinosaur kind would be best designed to repopulate the earth after the flood. 
but their days were numbered. No one knows for sure what caused their extinction, but there are a number of possibilities. Perhaps it was the radical change in climate, the destruction of their old ecosystem, the change in food sources, or even human hunters. Though some answers may always elude us, the biblical account of creation and the flood provides the best explanation of dinosaurs and their fossils. At the Creation Museum, the way we teach biblical history, at least the framework we use, is called the seven C's of history. Creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ cross consummation. And you might say, well, wait a minute, Tommy. I mean, that, you're talking about dinosaurs. Now you're talking about biblical history. You know, how does all this stuff tie together? And I know you have lots of dinosaurs at the Creation Museum, and you want to answer questions, but you're trying to tie this into some sort of theologic idea. Actually, it has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with it. Because guess what? Those creatures were made on day six by God. They reproduced after their kind. The British History Museum says these creatures died out millions of years ago. You've got two distinctly different worldviews. One of those worldviews honors God as creator. The other worldview says these creatures are just a cosmic accident. And by the way, so are you and I. Dinosaurs and man walk the earth together. We answer people's questions about dinosaurs. We encourage people to ask questions about dinosaurs because it allows us to give sound biblical scientific answers. We call dinosaurs missionary lizards. I mean, we use dinosaurs to help equip people to stand on the authority of the word of God. I mean, God created everything in how long? Six days. Looked at everything he created and said it was what? Very good. In the beginning, what did God give man and the animals to eat? Plants. Genesis 1.30. And to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I've given every green herb for meat. And it was so. In the beginning, man and the animals were vegetarian, which presents a problem. That's who? That's T-Rex. Look at those teeth. What did T-Rex eat? Answer anything it wanted, right? I mean, that's the way we think of dinosaurs. You know, these fearsome creatures that ate Tokyo. And lots of dinosaurs were meat eaters, but lots of dinosaurs weren't. See, this is the way we think about dinosaurs. This is a Jurassic calendar. Kill something and eat it, kill something and eat it, kill something and eat it. See, that's the way we think about dinosaurs. But in the beginning, T-Rex, this most feared, this most fearsome of dinosaurs ate what? plants. That just takes the steam right out of T-Rex, doesn't it? T-Rex was a vicious vegetarian. I mean, that just doesn't have any pizzazz at all. I mean, look at those teeth. It ain't plants. I mean, look at this vicious killer. But I know what that is. I know some of you do. That's a panda. Pandas attack and kill what? Bamboo. It's a vicious bamboo killer. Look at those teeth. It kills bamboo. Look at this thing. It's a what? Look at those teeth. It kills what? It's a fruit killer. Look at those teeth. It's a vicious fruit killer. This is my mother-in-law. I mean the black uacary. Look at the teeth on that bad boy. What does that thing eat? Mostly nuts, fruit, and vegetation. Isn't that a problem? Actually, it's not. You know, there are lions and tigers in our world today that are strict vegetarian. In one of my other presentations, I have a video of an alligator eating kumquats. 
Bears, when they come out of hibernation, you know, long teeth and claws will do very nicely eating plants. If you disturb them, they'll be happy to eat you too. Got to be careful. That is not the best example. The best example is the great white shark. The great white shark has been called nature's perfect killing machine. I'm going to show you a video about nature's perfect killing machine. My crew throws in the bait to begin the test. First tuna, squid, and kelp. Okay, the three baits are in. We've already seen how hard they hit the tuna in Australia. And if scent is a factor at all, the tuna or squid should go first. took a small bite out of the kelp. Incredible. She's coming back around for a second pass. Wow, it went for the kelp again. The shark ignored the tuna and the squid and took the kelp. So what are they doing? They're testing baits for the great white shark. So the first thing they do is take a hook and put a big chunk of tuna on it. They throw that out in the water. They take another hook and they put squid on it. They throw that out in the water. They take a third hook, put a big wad of seaweed, just a big ball of kelp on it. They throw that out in the water. Then they put that rocket scientist with the camera in the basket to film everything. Which, by the way, is a job I do not want. I never want to be unemployed enough to answer the following ad. Wanted, moron with video camera and heavily life insured to get in basket to film Great White Shark. I just will, I'll let somebody else take that job. Thank you. But they did find somebody to do it. So he's filming the Great White Shark. And on multiple passes, multiple passes, the Great White Shark, nature's perfect killing machine, ate what first? The plants. You see those teeth? That thing ate the plants first. Now, I did have a young man a few months ago suggest to me that the great white shark was eating his salad before he ate the diver. That may be, but I don't have the rest of the clip. So, but what does all that mean? It means this. This is where God's perfect creation is broken. Who broke it? We did. There was no death. After this, there's death. God's perfect creation is corrupted. What does that mean for us? There's nothing we can do to restore that fellowship. You know what's required? Sacrifice, the shedding of blood. This world is broken because of our disobedience. T-Rex was a vegetarian. Now T-Rex, you know, is a vicious killer. This world is broken because we broke it. God created in six days. It was a perfect creation where there was no death. Man's disobedience brought death, or death has always been here. You've got to decide where you stand. There are two starting points. You really don't have a third option. And because of man's disobedience, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And folks, if there's a place we need to really concentrate, if there's a place we need to commit ourselves to equipping ourselves and our children and our children's children to have answers, it's about dinosaurs. Because if we don't equip our children to have answers about dinosaurs, and I mean sound biblical scientific answers about dinosaurs, where we fall short, there's a world out there ready and willing to pick up where we left off. And if we turn our kids over to the world to be educated, whose fault is it? 
It's our fault. Go to our website, www.answersingenesis.org. Go to, the, go to the search engine and type in dinosaurs or T-Rex or Triceratops. We've got lots of articles about dinosaurs. Our Answers Book series, throughout the whole series of Answers Books, we've got lots of chapters about dinosaurs because people have so many questions. There's an entire volume of the Kids Answers Book series just about dinosaurs. Our book, Dinosaurs for Kids, wonderful resource. Parents and grandparents, it's not just for kids. You need to get that volume, go through it yourself, make sure you understand those answers, sit down with your kids, and let's make sure we answer their questions. Our most popular children's DVD set is this. It's called Dinosaurs, Genesis, and the Gospel by Ken Ham and Buddy Davis. It's a two-DVD set. Tons and tons of questions answered about dinosaurs. There's a full gospel presentation on this video set. It's wonderfully whispered. It's our most popular kids' DVD set by far. Um, I will share with you this. This is personal. I hate this DVD set. Because my oldest daughter is 26 years old. She's a missionary. She has a master's degree in biblical languages and a master's degree in linguistics. She still says her all-time favorite Answers in Genesis DVD is this one. The fact that her own father has 10 DVDs and one of mine didn't get the top spot. Yeah, it hurts, but I'm getting over it, okay? It is wonderful for kids and adults. And my uh, presentation, Jurassic Prank, A Dinosaur Tale, is, another, is just another uh, full presentation about dinosaurs for adults. Don't forget A God of Suffering and other DVDs we have out there. If you have any questions about dinosaurs or anything else, I'll be here. So I'll turn it back over to the boss.